go. Anyway, I was sitting over this morning, I was thinking about, hey, for some reason, I hadn't been there in a while, and it's church for about a thousand people, and man, they were singing some praise, and it was good, but it was in French, and I didn't know what they were saying, <laughs> and so I was supposed to speak that morning, and I was sitting up against the wall, actually, and, and some of my traveling companions were sitting over here, and I'm sitting there going, man, I'm trying to get into this, Lord, because a minister really wants to get up after some good praise and worship. And I know it was good, but it wasn't good to me because I didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> and I was sitting there, and I had my book satchel with me, and I went, oh, I'm all right. Pulled out my earplugs, hooked up my phone, got me some tunes going, got me some praise and worship going. Yeah, so the time I got to preach, I was ready. But I wanted to give a shout-out to our praise team. But do they not do a wonderful job? And so they were who I was thinking about when I started thinking about Haiti. And I thought, you know, I've been in a lot of countries where music just wasn't there. But one of the greatest ones is in Africa. No music at all. Only about eight people. And see, it's important what comes out of here. And what was coming out of those people in Africa in that little bitty grass hut with, with a blue tarp over it. I mean, we couldn't get 20 people in their pack. And they were all, we were all sweatier than I am now. But the praise and worship was awesome. I didn't know what they said either. But it was good. <laughs> I'm proud to be up here this morning, but I'm not proud of the reason that I'm up here. Because our first lady is sick. And so that's the reason I'm up here. You know, filling in. This is the first time in the 30-something years I've been here that I've spoke to you on Sunday morning. It's kind of odd. But I was thinking about Mama Peg yesterday. Pam and I went to Shreveport, and about 11 o'clock, where the bill called, and we were on the road. And he told me what was going on and asked me to fill in. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. <clears throat> she come up here on Wednesday night and get on that keyboard hurting. And has done it year after year after year after year and never complained. And I guarantee you, if you could get to where she's at today, as sick as she is, she'd muster up some kind of smile and she'd say something good. That woman has stayed her course. And that's the message today. Stay our course. Stay our course. With America and with the world, going through what we're going through, the, the confusion of it all. And, and I've got some scripture that's going to show you people that went through confusion. What I do, what I not do. And yeah, we make mistakes. But stay focused. That's the whole point. Stay focused. And it's easy to get sidetracked. So as I was sitting at my desk, we had a busy day. I didn't get in until like 6.30. So the time I got a shower and I got in the office, it's 7.30 at night. And Brother Bill said, I know you got a word for today. I didn't tell him I didn't. <laughs> so, so I got this, and I thought it was going to be an all-nighter. I've done those where you had to study all night. But just a few minutes after I sat down at my desk, I started thinking about Miss Peggy. I thought, well, there's a woman that stayed the course. And that's what kept popping up in my head. Stay the course. Stay the course. 
You guys my age and older, we understand that. The younger bunch don't necessarily understand. Stay the course. I'm going to read from uh, Genesis. While I was sitting there, I got thinking. I started writing down names of different people in the Bible that, that have stayed their course. And, and I settled on two. Abraham and Esther. Genesis 15, 4 through 7. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now remember that Abram was 99 years old and had no children. At 99, you kind of forgot about children. But what God did was set a course for Abraham, a course for him to follow. Well, when we read that first thing, we think, oh, hallelujah, you're going to have a kid, probably going to be a son. You know, I can see him being the proud daddy running around bragging, going to have a son. But you're 99. Going to have a son. But it was deeper than that. It wasn't just that he was going to have a son that herded sheep. Or a son that was just a common laborer. No, no, no. As we read this, we're going to read and understand that actually what God said was, I have set a course before you. I am going to give you a son, and you are to teach him to be a man of integrity, a man of honor, a man to keep my word, and to pass it from one generation to the next. And we'll read the word must and shall. Must and shall are two of the two strongest words in the English uh, language. <clears throat> 16, 1 through 3. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. How many times has someone else took us off course? Abram failed. Sarah failed. But Sarah led Abram astray. They had a son named Ishmael through Hagar. The whole point of that is that was not God's plan. And we will read where God does not even acknowledge Ishmael as a son. Nowhere in the scripture that we read that. There is a place, I forget where it's worded, but when Hagar uh, had been run off, uh, the, the Lord appeared to Hagar and told her that her son would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But he didn't have a covenant with God. That's important. He did not have a covenant with God. But in the things that we're going through, I can imagine... Abram going, man, it's been a while. Nothing's happened. Maybe she's right. See, it's easy to let someone else say, uh, I'm the problem. God's not blessing me. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to say, I'm the issue. Take me out of the equation and let's insert somebody else. But here was the word that, that struck me in what she was saying. I will build a family through someone else. 
She wasn't the one building the family. God was. And the word that was given to Abram was given to Sarah. But Sarah didn't fully receive it. At that time, she got weak, got tired, whatever her thinking was. She gave in to doubt and unbelief. And she convinced Abram to follow her in doubt and unbelief. And we know what that's created. It's created a nation that has done nothing but try to kill Christianity. So you see what getting off track can do? We still pay the price of that. America is paying the price for that mistake all those years ago. Who flew into our Twin Towers? Who is in our government trying to change our world? That was a, that was a mistake. We really need to learn from these mistakes. I mean, that was a mistake we really couldn't afford in it. Stay the course. When God gives you a word, he's saying stick with it. Wednesday night, I was speaking, and I was speaking on Moses. And I was always baffled by why did God show up to kill Moses when he had spent so much time convincing him to go be his mouthpiece for Egypt. I'd never studied it. Well, I studied it. And the secret was, Moses, I believe, was circumcised, but his sons weren't. And that lines up with what we're speaking about today. Now, Moses was not raised by the Jews. Yeah, he was nursed, and he had three months before his mama sent him off sailing in a little basket. But he wasn't trained in Jewish laws and customs. And so I understood that it was easy for Moses to not circumcise his sons. He didn't grow up in that. I mean, he just he wasn't familiar with it. He may have known it. I believe he knew it. But his wife knew it. And his wife did the circumcision, which made God leave him alone. God had him slayed out with six and kill him. That always baffled me. Why? Why were you going to kill him, God? And then and you did all this work to get him, and then all of a sudden now you're going to kill him. Right in a, He's took a step of faith and moved out in what you've asked him to do, and now you're going to kill him? You've got to go find somebody else and start all over again. God gave him no warning. Well, that struck me. Well, wait a minute. If I'm teaching or training somebody and I want them to do what I'm wanting them to do, I'm going to teach them and train them. And, oh, wait a minute, you got a mistake. Let's fix this little area right here. God didn't do that. And so I'm studying that, and I'm like, but God, why didn't you tell him? I spoke the word to Abram. Abram was supposed to train everyone in my word. It was supposed to go from generation to generation to generation, and he's supposed to know. I don't have to repeat myself. Wow. And he didn't have a Bible. We have a Bible. Moses didn't have a Bible. And so I kind of felt sorry for him. But the point is, God spoke it, and he don't run around repeating himself. When we read the Word, we can't blame anyone else. When we've read the Word and we understand it, it's on us. And it was on Moses, and he disobeyed. But praise God for his wife, because she saved him. Anyway, I wasn't planning on putting that in right there, but I thought it fit. I think I kind of covered this. But in 17 verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. That means it's not something you can just toy with. You actually have to do what God said do. 
you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. That means never, ever let God's word die. Not only was Abraham to stay the course, he was to train all his family to stay the course. We know that not all people obey their parents, follow their parents. We know the scripture, raise a child in the way he should go, and he'll return to it. I spoke to a lot of them in prison that didn't return to it until after they'd already messed up and got in prison. And then the only thing they could witness to was other prisoners because they would never get out. I remember one of the most eloquent speakers I ever heard, maximum security place, and he was literally covered in tattoos from, from his eyes down all the way down to his, to his fingernails. And he was a nice looking guy except for the tattoos because he just literally was covered in them. But part of that class, a friend of mine was teaching, and in order to be a member of that class, you had to agree to stand up and speak. You had to give a testimony or preach God's word. And so we had two or three of those guys do that that night before I spoke. And this guy was the last one to get up. And his message was what Jesus means to me. Man, it was awesome. His delivery. I was sitting there going, oh, God, I wish I could speak that well. Well, after it was over, I went up and spoke to him, tried to encourage him. And I said, man, what are you going to do when you get out of here? bowed his head and he said brother James I'll never get out I'll die here well that wasn't exactly what I was expecting to hear I said man if God don't get you out what's your plan he said don't have one just living day to day so I reached up and put my arm around him and I said hey brother I said if you're stuck here and you can't get out why don't you bring as many of these rascals with you to heaven as you can because you are absolutely one of the greatest speakers I've ever heard. He said, you blowing smoke? I said, no, man, I travel. I've heard a lot of good preachers. And I'm telling you, I was embarrassed to get up behind you. You were so good. I said, man, if God could have got you before, he looked at me and said, he's tried. He's tried. I said, but he's got you. He said, yeah. I said, well, hey, do the best you can where you are. You put yourself here. Now do the best you can with what you have. And when we get to heaven, I can't wait to meet you and see how many you bring. He said, well, I won't bring as many as you. You get in the travel. I said, who knows? Who knows how many people are going to come through this prison? How many people are going to come through your place of employment? See, we don't think about where is our pulpit at. Your pulpit is where you are. Now I understand there's places you can't actually preach the word of God. But I did a lot of construction through the years. And I witnessed to a lot of people right up here at this paper mill. And it was this simple. They'd walk up and tug on my shirt collar or my shirt sleeve and they'd say, got a minute? And a lot of times it only took two or three minutes to just go pray with somebody and change a life. One particular man that still lives in this area who actually is saved and in a church now, he looked at me one day and he said, don't preach to me. I said, I've never tried to. He said, but I hear you. I said, I don't know how you're hearing me. I'm trying to be, be conservative and speak to people in private. He said, yeah, but everybody knows what you are. See, there my nickname was Rev because I would witness to people. I never stood out front, never got to ask pray, to pray over lunch in front of everybody. Just 
going through normal everyday business, not participating in the field, and that alone brought people to come ask me questions and ask me to pray over people. I would stay in the course. Are we staying the course? See, our, our, our world, America, has not been staying the course. The evidence is, look at what's going on. See, we, I, I listen to people hollering, screaming, crying about, oh, you, you know, they took their AK-47 and they killed 52 people. Yeah, that's bad. How many babies are we killing? Let me drop a seed of thought for you. <clears throat> Is it a bigger sin to kill a baby with a knife and pay a doctor to do it or a bigger sin for a man to kill somebody with an AK-47? What's the bigger sin? If it's straight across the board, then how is God looking at America? Now, we're, the, we're, we're the, basically the only Christian nation left. So how is God really looking at America? Is He proud of us? There's areas He's proud of. But where did COVID-19 start? Sin City, where the most death happened in the United States, New York City. Are we waking up? Are we getting attention? Can I tell you what part of my prayer, my daily prayer is this, and it's just a piece of it. When I pray for our president and our vice president, I then go to praying for the, anyone else that's in the leadership of our country. And I ask the Lord to save them. But Father God, if they refuse to accept you as Lord and Savior, take them out of office. Put one of your children in office. This, this nation can once again be led by the Holy Spirit. You got ungodly people in leadership, you're going to get ungodly leadership. That's what's wrong with America. You can sum it up, fuss, gripe, complain all you want to. We didn't obey this word. I say we didn't, we doing it, but a lot of our brothers and sisters in America have not done it. They allow leadership to change. What can we do? What, what we just did? We can pray for those, but take care of our world where we're at. We can stay the course. They may not stay the course in the next city or the next state or the next county or the next country over, but we're going to stay our course, Right? We're the ones, the ones, let me just say it this way, the ones that stay our course. When Gabe's got his horn nice and polished and God says, Gabe, blow. We're the ones that'll leave. We can't get a watered-down Christianity from the people that are trying to change our world because they're false gods. I'm blessed to get to go to some of those countries. And guess what? I'm doing the same thing those guys are trying to do to our country. I'm going to other countries and I'm trying to change them to full Christianity. We're going to get as many as we're getting. I don't know how many we're getting. I can tell you this. There's more Christians in Cuba than you can shake a stick at. They're known as a communist country, but they are full of Christians. And I'm not talking about guys just sitting on a pew. So, I got plumb off of where I was headed. 22, 12, and 14. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not, do not do anything to him. Now know that you fear, Now that I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So here God is again saying that Isaac is the only son, because that was God's plan. And here's another important thing. Abraham got off course, and he messed up. But he got back on course. 
They said, that proves, yeah, you can mess up. And yeah, you're going to pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it. In this case, a lot of us are paying for it. A lot of people have paid with their lives because of the mistakes they made. But we can get back on course and we can complete what God has destined us to do. Let me back up here a little bit. <clears throat> Abram looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Did it ever strike you funny that Abram never did see that old goat? I mean, he's building a, a sacrificial fire. It takes a little effort. He was there a while. He wouldn't run around gathering up some fire. I know they carried some up, but he was gathering up firewood and stones and whatever and never saw the goat. How did he miss that? Because I don't believe that God just went and a, got, and a goat showed up. I think the goat was there all along. And, and I, I got to think about a waiver of mine during this. Is God getting me off course? Because it appears right here that God's going to against the course he set me on. He set me on a course to raise a son that was a leader, a man of integrity, a man of honor, a man that would, that would please God. And now you ask me to kill him. Did I mess up as a teacher? Am I a bad daddy? Man, this, I don't know how old he was, but he's big enough to carry firewood. Have I got to back up and start again with a new one? Could you imagine the thoughts going through his head? What is going on? The very God that I finally, finally am trusting and obeying has took me off course. God ever took you off course? Or it looked like he was going off course? Why are you talking about confusion? Man, he had to be somewhat confused. These guys aren't rock solid. They're human. They make mistakes like you and I. They have the same kind of thoughts we had. And I can imagine him just toying with, oh God, what did I do? Did I really kill my son? Man. And start all over again. Well, if that's God's plan, we're going to kill him. I'm going to obey God. We just got to suck up, saddle up, and get it done, right? That's what he did. And I'm talking about in the motion. Stop. And then God said, now I know you. How many times has the Holy Ghost spoke to you and asked you to do something you didn't do it? You just told him he knew you. How many times did he asked you to do something you obeyed? Again, you told him you knew that you, he knew you. So you don't know. I hear people, oh, if this happened, I'd do that. I'd do this. I'd do that. No. No, we don't know what we would really do until we're actually in whatever circumstance. At that point, that's when we know what we'll do. And that's where God carried Abram. But at this time he's Abraham. But he carried him to the point. It looked like the point of no return. Off track. He was, he was definitely heading him off track. Got him off course. But it was only a test. And if God tested him, he's going to test us. If we're going to be abused to him, he's definitely, make no mistake, he's going to test us. And we have to stay the course. Even if he carried us to the point that it looks like we're fixing to do the actual opposite of what he asked us to do. And that's what it looked like here. 
God had carried him to the point of doing exactly the opposite of what he asked him to do. But he obeyed him. Let's go look at Esther. In the book of Esther, we're not going to talk about Esther first, but in 1 11 through 12, the king asked his servants to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal robe, in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. And I thought, do I really, really make God burn with anger when I don't obey him? Because that's a representation of us today. You know, when the Holy Ghost asks us to do something and we don't do it, it upsets him. We're his children. We're supposed to be obeying him. We're supposed to do the things he asks us to do. I'm pretty good at doing what he asked me to do. But a few weeks ago, we was sit- I was sitting over here, and... Uh, Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and, and really asked me to go pray for somebody. And they were on stage. And it was as people were coming in. And I really got an issue with showmanship. And so I sat there going, oh, man, no, no. I, that's showmanship. I'm used to you bringing people to me in private. I'm used to praying over in the corner with people. You know, unless I'm the guest speaker and we do it up front. But. Now, I'd be a distraction to come on stage while these guys are practicing. You know, I, I, interruptions. They cause too many problems in church. I, I, no. And so I sat there. Well, the rest of y'all came in and sat down. And this is what happened. God moved on somebody else. Ken Hogan stand up and said, hey. He didn't interrupt a few. He interrupted the whole service. And he obeyed God. I sat over feeling like a heel. Because I disobeyed. Now, will he give me another opportunity? Well, hey, I'm standing here before you today. He gave me another opportunity to stand before you and say something. Right? But if we refuse enough, will we be like Queen Vashti? See, she got shut off from the kingdom. That means her voice wouldn't be heard in the king's ear anymore. The people that were beneath her, that she was lord over, if you will. They won't hear her voice anymore. Was she still a queen? Sure. But she was set apart, never to come before the king again. That's pretty awesome when you get thinking about that. Now, how many times can we mess up before the Holy Ghost won't speak to us again? So my point in that is, is when he speaks, it's better to make a mistake than to sit and not do nothing. Someone's soul, health, healing, sometimes just a word of encouragement keeps somebody from blowing their brains out. We can't sit still. See, God set us on a course. And it wasn't just to get to heaven, but it was do like I did that inmate. Let's bring as many of these scoundrels with us as we can. And along the way, let's encourage and lift up and strengthen as many Christians as we can. The better a soldier is, the better he'll fight. The better warrior you have, the more people he will infect with God's word. We have to stay the course. 
We can't let society and, and the junk that's going on around us pull us down, depress us. We're royalty. It's hard for me to say that word. We're royalty. We're somebody's. We're not trash. God chose us. We're his elite. We're his team. If you're in sports, we are God's team. We can't go to the sideline. We can't afford to. They're souls that need to go with us. The Lord moved on me a few months ago to stand up for China. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in other countries. I, I know that I know a little more about it than some of y'all. But if the Holy Ghost moves on you to pray for somebody, you need to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody in another country go, man, I had nobody here to pray for me. And somebody would stand up and go, was that in June 1992? How'd you know? I was in America and I was praying for you. I have heard that over and over. I know y'all don't get to hear that. But I hear those kind of things. When you say miracles, I see them. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed to get to see them. That's why when I speak about this, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not up here for show or money. I'm up here to encourage you. We're warriors. We are God's royal army. And we must stay the course. Fourteen, chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. See, my opportunity perished over here the other day. I let it perish because I sat still. Because I didn't want to be accused of showmanship. Better to be accused of showmanship and someone get healed than to save a little embarrassment. Because when I was young and running country and western clubs, I didn't have a problem walking in and making an idiot of myself. Didn't bother me a bit. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. We shouldn't be embarrassed. And I, you know, I just don't like showmanship. I don't want people saying, oh, he did that for show. I ain't doing it for show. What I do, I do for the kingdom. And here's these famous words out of this chapter. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. You are royal. And when God chooses you to do something, it's because you're his child and you're royalty. Many years ago when I first came here and I was, I was learning about the Holy Ghost, I was saved, but I, I didn't know about the Holy Ghost. And the first time that God asked me to speak to somebody, and I, and I obeyed him, it was powerful. I learned a lot. A lady who had been a 50-year diabetic got healed. Threw the insulin away. Didn't take no pills. She was totally healed. But I asked the Lord later on, I said, Man, that room, there was 8 or 10, 12 people in there that been following you for a long time. Why did you pick a knothead like me that don't know nothing? I love the response. <clears throat> but I'm God. Can I not choose who I want to use? It's not that I was special. I was just another one of his kids. So when he chooses you, it's just because you're one of his kids. Not because you're better than somebody else. 
I mean, I, I travel with guys and, and I see them getting up preaching a great word and I see the Holy Ghost move. Guess what? I'm their best cheerleader. I love what they're doing. I love to participate. I get up and I get to pray with different people. But some of those same guys do the same thing for me. Because we're not in a competition. If Esther had to sit quiet, would God have raised up someone else to take her place? Have this thought. On what day? On what year? On what month would he raise up someone else to take Esther's place? And how many Jews would have died waiting on someone else to take Esther's place? How many would go to hell or not get healed or not get that word of encouragement if we sit still? Esther stayed the course and she saved the nation. If you stay in the course, only saves one soul. It's important to that one soul. See, we we like, oh, how many, how many got saved? Two. Jump and shout. How many got saved? Five hundred. Jump and shout. See, God saves them all one at a time. We don't get to choose how many. God does. Stay the course. Esther stayed the course. Abraham stayed the course. Joshua stayed the course. Joseph stayed the course. We can just go on and on and on with people who stayed the course. People who made mistakes continuously, but they stayed the course. They tripped, the word says it this way, they tripped and fell down, they got up, dusted their self off, and saddled up and went again. Let's stay the course. Can't see the clock well enough to tell you what time it is. I don't know if I'm supposed to let you go now or not, but I'm through. So I'm going to say it to you this way. I'm going to pray. If you need prayer, stay. I won't touch you, but I'll get close enough you can hear me. And I'll pray for you. We don't need music. We don't need singing. We'll, take, we'll, just, we'll just pray for whoever. So Father God, I give you praise and glory. You're mighty and awesome God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for taking care of Mom Peg. And Brother Bill. Blessing him with strength. I pray you watch over your children today, Lord, and keep them safe as they travel home. Inspire them, encourage them, strengthen them. Help them stay the course, Lord. Yes, it's for us. But it's for us that we may visit you. And be with you in eternity and bring as many to you as possible. Guard our words that we speak your word. Bless our minds with memory of your word and the ability to speak it eloquently effectively, that we bring more to you in Jesus' name. Amen.